Hi ladies and welcome to the Amazing Bible Dot Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we are looking at the eighth minor prophet, Habakkuk. So let's review the others. Hosea married a harlot, which represented the unfaithfulness of Israel, and the book also shows us the Hesed love of the Lord to his people. Joel prophesied the plague of locusts, which was a call for the Lord's people to turn back to him before the day of the Lord came. Amos preached, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, which was a cry for social justice and true worship. Obadiah prophesied against Edom, descendants of Esau, because of their vengeful dealings with Judah and Jerusalem. Jonah was called to preach to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, and he refused, ran the other way, so the Lord had him swallowed by a fish, and after three days and nights in the belly of the fish, Jonah said, Okay, I will fulfill my vow. So the fish vomited him onto dry land. Jonah preached, the people repented, which made Jonah angry. Micah prophesied a span of a little more than 700 years. With Samaria's fall to Assyria in 722 BC, Judah's fall to Babylon in 586 BC, exiles to Babylon and then exiles returning to Jerusalem in 537-536 BC, and then a promise of hope of one who will be born in Bethlehem around 3-6 BC, and we know that's Jesus. Nahum was the prophet against Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, for their wickedness to Israel, Judah, and every land that they touched. Jonah would have loved to have preached that one. And now we have Habakkuk, who, like Jeremiah, was told that the Chaldeans are coming, or in other words, the Babylonians are coming. And Dr. Betts said the key word for this book is faith. Verse 1 of chapter 1 starts like Nahum did. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. With Nahum the burden was of Nineveh. Here the burden, also translated oracle, was something Habakkuk saw. One thing I've noticed with the prophets is that it is not always easy to know the future. I think of Daniel who wept and could not eat. Jeremiah, who was put in a well, and I realize sometimes it is a burden to know the ways of the Lord. We know Habakkuk is described as a prophet, and this is just about all we know of this guy. There are no references to kings or even where he lived. Other than that, it seems safe to say he lived in Judah. Even when we put our detective hats on, We only have two vague reference points, and they're found in chapter 1, verses 5b and 6a. I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you, for lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, another name for the Babylonians. So, since we can't believe the Babylonians are coming then, they could not be a world power yet. But it will happen in the lifespan of Habakkuk. So it would seem 
that Assyria is still the world power, but Babylon is coming. So he might be alive around the same time as Jeremiah. The Battle of Carchemish in 605 BC was the big transition of power between Assyria and Babylon. And it was in 612 when Nineveh was wiped out by the Babylonians and the Medes. So probably sometime before both those dates. That covers the who, what, when, where, and now we have the why. This prophecy is unique in that it is not a prophecy where the prophet goes and preaches to people. In this book, the prophet is talking to God and asking why. This is called a theodicy, a defense of God, or the dictionary definition, the vindication of divine providence in view of the existence of evil. This is not easy to grasp, and I think with all believers, there are times that are harder than others when accepting this. In Habakkuk, we see him struggle, and we see how God deals with him in his questions. Verses 2 through 4 is Habakkuk's prayer to the Lord. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore justice comes out perverted. Did you notice how many times Habakkuk said I and me? We do not know where the affliction is coming from. But since we know that Jeremiah was persecuted severely by the Jews, then it's a good guess that it is from the fellow Jews. As Dr. Betts said, Habakkuk is a bit put out with the Lord. He's upset that God doesn't punish Judah for their sinfulness. It seems that God is doing nothing. Why doesn't he set things straight? Verses 5 through 11 is God's answer. Verse 5 says, Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe it if I told you. Then the Lord tells him. He is raising up the Babylonians and then the next few verses describe them and their evils. They are fierce, impetuous, seize what is not theirs. Their justice and authority is based on themselves, not God. They are violent. They take captives. They mock kings and they demolish as they go. Then verse 11b says, but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. See Hassel Bullock said in an introduction to the Old Testament prophetic books on page 222, a nation that had made power and success its God had advanced to the ultimate stage of idolatry to turn human attributes and achievements into idols that are worshipped is the greatest defiance of the true and truly sovereign God. That makes me just a bit worried about our own country. Verses 12 through 17 is Habakkuk's second prayer, which starts with affirming the Lord. And then he asks in verse 13, Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? In other words, 
How can God use these wicked people as our punishment? As Dr. Betts pointed out, now that you're going to act, I don't like the way you're going to do it. I can relate. Can you? Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Habakkuk says, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. It seems Habakkuk is ready to watch, but also he is ready to defend his question before the Lord. Verses 2 through 5, the Lord answers Habakkuk's question by saying, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run, for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. One thing we see is that there is an appointed time. Many times God's timing is not our timing, but his timing is so perfect. We also have verse 4, the key verse. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right with him, but the righteous will live by faith. According to my King James Version Study Bible, it was this verse, Habakkuk 2.4, which Paul used in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, to introduce the principle of justification by faith rather than by works. And it was Martin Luther's interpretation of this verse which totally reoriented his thinking and contributed to the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. Paul also used this verse in his letter to Galatians in chapter 3 verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Then the writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews used this verse in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Then I love what the writer of Hebrews says next. But we are not of those who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Amen. He then goes into a long list of people in the Old Testament who were saved because they lived by faith. And that list is not finished yet. According to verse 4 of chapter 2, the opposite of living by faith in the Lord is pride. And we see a hint of that in Habakkuk. He cries out about the sins of his people and is crying out for judgment on them. Yet when God says, okay, I'll bring the Babylonians, it's like, what? Are you going to use these sinful people to put us in our place? It seems he thinks the Jews were more righteous. But if we remember our history, the Jews had become just as bad as the pagan nations. Chapter 2 continues with five woes, which does show judgment on the wicked. Verses 6 through 8. Woe to him who increases what is not his. Verses 9 through 11, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. Verses 12 through 14, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. Verses 15 through 17, 
Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in your venom, even to make them drunk so as to look on their nakedness. Verses 18 and 19. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake to a mute stone, arise, and that is your teacher? Then the prophet compares those idols to the Lord in verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Chapter 3 is another prayer unto the Lord. And this one is a song. Because at the end it says, To the chief singer on my stringed instrument. In verse 1 of chapter 3, there is a word, Shagayanath which according to my New American Standard Study Bible, it is a highly emotional poetic form. Verse 2 Habakkuk says, Lord, I have heard the report about you and I fear. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. This song describes who the Lord is after what Habakkuk had seen. He is different now. Verse 16 reads, I heard and my inward parts trembled at the sound my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. Then the last three verses, 17 through 19, are also key verses. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vine, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet, yet, I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. After the vision of what was coming, Habakkuk trusted in God's sovereignty over the nations. So let me ask this. How are we at worship and exalting the Lord during rough times? As we have read about Ezekiel, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were in exile, they stayed faithful. Habakkuk had a change of heart similar to Job. When they both saw the Lord, they were taken off their high horse and they humbled themselves before the Lord. Remember, according to chapter 2 verse 4, the opposite of faith is pride. I confess many times My attitude needs to be adjusted. As Dr. Bett said at the end of his lecture, he made us. We didn't make ourselves. When we delight in him, he will see us through. Whatever he takes us through, we will come out at the end, exulting like Habakkuk. So if you hear the Lord's voice today, don't harden your hearts. Instead, let's be women of faith, who trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Until next time, and thanks so much for listening.